You carry life's burdens with you every day. They might feel heavy enough to break you, but they also have the power to inspire you. Your burdens are those difficult life experiences I know you've had, because I've had them too. And our past pains motivate us to do good in the world. And they're also the source of many of our reoccurring struggles. I'm Rebecca Ching, and you're listening to The Unburdened Leader, the show that goes deep with leaders whose burdens have inspired their life's work. Our goal is to learn how they've addressed these burdens, how they rise from them, and become better and more impactful leaders of themselves and others. We try to make sense of these experiences. We learn who they've made us and help us form a vision of who we want to become. And the more we learn to recognize these burdens, the more we're able to use them, even heal them, rather than allowing our burdens to control us. Coming to terms with our burdens, how they inspire us and how they continue to cause us pain is a key step for allowing ourselves to be known and loved as we are. Without recognizing our burdens, we can't make ourselves open to intimate connections. And this is the work of a lifetime. Self-discovery takes time, and it doesn't necessarily get any easier with age. But one way we can enhance the process is to listen to others tell their stories and share their burdens. And that's been the goal of this podcast from day one. Today, I'm proud to be sharing our 50th episode with you. For this episode, I handed over the host mic to my longtime friend and colleague, Dr. Allison Cook, who's also a former Unburdened Leader guest. Now, Allison and I met when we both worked on Capitol Hill. After leaving the Hill, both of us eventually ended up studying to be therapists, and we reunited at an internal family systems conference where we were both speaking. Now, Allison is a counselor, speaker, and the co-author of Boundaries for Your Soul, and her new book, The Best of You, is coming out this fall. Now, Allison has known me for almost half my life, which is just trippy to think about and even say out loud. And we thought she would be the perfect guest host to interview me about the origin story of this podcast, along with connecting the dots of my story that informs my work today. So going back a few years, when I saw Tara and Sean McMullen launch Yellow House Media, I knew I wanted to work with them to help me figure out the wide, wide world of podcasting and put together a show that was actually worth listening to while also supporting my professional goals. And with their skilled support and guidance, the Unburdened Leader was created and the first episodes dropped almost two years ago. And in that time, I connected with over 50 leaders in a multitude of industries and professions, learning about how the burdens they carry inspire their life's work and how they still threaten to take them out and how they continue to rise from them. The commitment to start this podcast has evolved to so much more than just interviewing people, which I absolutely love. An unexpected result of the commitment to creating the show has turned into an exercise, no surprise, in working with the echoes of my own burdens while I simultaneously explore the burdens that inspire the life's work of my guests. The practice of creating this podcast helps me increase my capacity for vulnerability, which is still very much a work in progress, while helping me work through topics I deeply, deeply care about. Showing up to something day in and day out changes you, and it's hard to see those little changes without some reflection and, yes, even a little bit of celebration. 
And part of the celebration involves an immense amount of gratitude to everyone at the Yellow House Media team and to all of you who have listened faithfully over the last two years. As you listen to Allison interview me, listen for my reflections on how starting this podcast felt like it was breaking a lot of rules from my family of origin and also my psychotherapist training. Notice the impact of repeated muggings and what they had on my perception of control. And pay attention to what I did when I realized I did not like who I was becoming after following my dreams to work in Washington, D.C. And now I'll let Dr. Allison Cook take the reins. You're in for a treat today. I am here with my dear friend and colleague, Dr. Allison Cook, and I am giving her the microphone today for the Unburdened Leaders 50th episode. Allison is going to interview me today. So Allison, welcome as the Unburdened Leader host today. (laughs) What a treat. I am thrilled. I'm so excited to dig into some of these questions that I have for you. I cannot wait. So, all right. Roles have been reversed. (laughs) Interview is all yours. (laughs) All right. Well, the first question I want to ask you is, I want you to walk us through the creation of this podcast. Why did you choose to create it in this way? Well, I mean, you, I mean, Allison, you've known me, I think we're we're at over 25 years, but I think to me, it just felt very natural way of creating and of getting important content out there that was a good fit for me and a good fit for my life. And it's kind of fun, even though it seems like everyone has a podcast, uh, the statistics are, are show that it's still fairly new in the world of all the ways that people consume content. And so it feels cool to be in on something in a newish way. Yeah. And there's just so many fun things to do with it. So that's like the macro uh, view of it. But, and I think the other view is I wanted to connect with people in a deeper way and in a more public way. And podcasting was just a no brainer to do that. There's so much. I remember you telling me, I think I'm going to start a podcast. And I just thought, of course, Yes, you should. And meaning specifically you, because it brings together, which I really want to dig into today, so many different parts of you that I know from so many different parts of your life. But I'm curious before we get into that, like, how was it when it first started to go live? Were there fears that you had? Were there any, or or was it just kind of like, no, this this feels natural. This is what I should be doing. Okay, it felt natural when I was doing everything my producers wanted me to do, and I was doing all the back end. And then when it was going live, I felt all like a lot of these different parts of me were super vulnerable. Like I was breaking rules. I was breaking a lot of rules in my family of origin. I was breaking rules. And you're also a trained psychotherapist. I was breaking rules there. I was really, you know, integrating all aspects of my loves and my interests and who I am in one place. And my system wasn't a hundred percent on board. with that. And the interesting thing is, is when my um, kind of the intro to the podcast, when that dropped, I immediately did get some feedback from a family member that was kind of like, who do you think you are? You know, you're sitting there helping everyone do these things. And you're just a hot mess. Because I mean, just to be transparent, you know, things are messy and complicated in my family of origin, I've had to set some hard boundaries and they're some differences. And, 
it's not the way it should be, but it's it's the way it needs to be. And and there was this sense of I was stepping out and not, you know, staying quiet anymore. And that was breaking a rule. And then I had immediate backlash. But there also was this part that hadn't felt more alive than I've been in a long time. It just felt true just to kind of say, here I am, let's do And it really wasn't about me, but it was about expressing something that had been brewing in me for a while that I'd, I'd been exiling. So the breaking of the rules, it sounds like, was around staying silent. And the sure. courage was, no, I'm gonna use, I want to use my voice. Is that is that part of it? Yeah. I mean, I, I think I'm hard pressed to find anyone who's in any kind of helping profession or leadership position who hasn't wondered, like has a part of them that says, who do you think you are to really help people, to lead people, to to do this, right? And 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 there is this message that you kind of have to have all your shit together to be able to to do something of significance, which of course you and I call bullshit too all the time. But there were parts of me that were like, oh no. <laughs> Now we're putting the spotlight here. And and it actually was a really healing thing for me to do. And so it was easier to stay silent and stay off the radar than to bring attention to, hey, I'm just going to do life the way that I know that I'm called and led and made to do it. And you know, and, and and again, this is something you and I work with people all the time is this anticipatory backlash. And and sometimes we hold back on doing our life's work because of those fears and concerns. So there's something about this just creating in this way, in this very public way. I've always been, you know, creating behind the scenes. I've been the wing person. I've been the, you know, behind closed doors person um, in my professional career. Like, you know, in high school, I was like captain of the cheerleading squad and like go team. But again, still go team, right? Um, yeah. But this was something that I was like owning things I, yeah. I believed in and I felt were important to bring a spotlight to and wasn't staying silent anymore. So yeah. So there's a combination of silence and authenticity there. And even in our training as therapists, right, we're trained to listen, to be behind the scenes, to not be seen, to not be visible. Um, so to take that and turn turn the table around and go public, even just that layer, I would imagine would create. So what's interesting though is this whole podcast explores the burdens leaders carry, right? I mean, that is yeah, yeah. The, the whole gist of the podcast. So, I mean, ironically, I do think art tends to imitate life. Well, and hollow, yeah. <laughs> and that's what you're describing. So walk me through the process of deciding to focus on exploring these burdens. I'm, I'm sure you're, you're in my, you know, in your mind, you weren't thinking, oh, this is exactly what I'm going to go through is I'm going to have to deal with some of my own burdens. But but you knew, some part of you knew that this is what you wanted to explore on this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. And you and I both are trained in a methodology called internal family systems. And, and you know, this methodology, along with, you know, Brett A. Brown's research and, and my foundational training in systems theory really form how I see the world, how I do life, how I parent, how I do relationships. And so I knew I wanted to bring in some aspect of this incredible methodology is as kind of a general focus, but not in a like, this is how you do IFS. I want it to be like an influence, you know, just more of how does it mean, what does it mean to live it and just talk that, you know, talk it and live it. So like, we're all wounded healers. And I, whether it's in my job, you know, working in DC or in, in corporate advertising in New York or 
international youth work. But even as a young kid, when I watched different leaders, I was fascinated by politics and, and just power and communication early on. And to see how often people's pain informed their life's work for better or for worse and how it, if it was for worse how you know the damage that could be done to themselves and all of those around them or how for better it led to people you know their meaningful work led to healing you know and making a big difference in the world for better but also healing themselves so there was something about how these burdens we carry and that's a that's a term that's really unique to internal family systems that we have this unburdening process that we're, we carry these burdens. And if we live a burdened life, you know, we, we lead that way. We love that way. Um, we work that way. But if we, you know, unburden, right, then our system can integrate and we can, you know, lead a, a, and live in a more aligned life. And so there's something about you know, the unburdened leader, what does it mean to move towards that? And I'll be honest with you. I mean, I, I'm going to be an unburdened leader when I breathe my last breath. I don't, there's no such thing as a hundred percent unburdened leader, but I think that the leaders that know their burdens and are working on unburdening them, those are the ones that are making the kind of impact that excites me. Um, and the ones that aren't aware of that or deny it are the scariest ones. Right, exactly. Which is what happened, what's just so interesting about your process, right? Because you said, you know, you were super excited, but then once once it started to feel more vulnerable about going live, you you it's not that you didn't feel those things. It's not that you didn't feel the vulnerability, that you didn't feel some of the imposter syndrome, what you know, all of the things that you mentioned, but you could name it which meant you could cheer for yourself, get the help you need. And, and that's what allowed you to keep leading, right? That's healthy leadership. That's unburdened leadership. It's not that you don't have the burdens. It's that you become aware of them. You can name them, you can see them, and you can get yourself the care that you need. So that, for example, you know, if you haven't done that work, if you haven't learned to name those burdens, you might have been tempted to pull the plug on the podcast or act out of those burdens instead of going, oh, I see what's happening here. I can get the help that I need. I can care for myself in this way and bring even more to the table as a result of this awareness. Yeah. And, and let me be clear. I was dragging my feet until my podcasters <laughs> put the This was supposed to, it was supposed to, it dropped like two months later than it was supposed to. And I didn't, wasn't consciously aware I was dragging my feet. I was like, you know, this pandemic and you know, there's a lot going on. Finally, like we're shipping it. And yeah, I think there's something to be said that our burdens and our vulnerabilities you know, is what makes us human. And there's still this message that, oh, if you're feeling that discomfort or that doubt or that distress, that means you're doing something wrong or you you are wrong and you're not in the right place. And I really just feel like it's so essential. And that's part of these conversations is to really integrate, you know, the, the mindset work that so many people do in leadership with true mental health and normalize being human as leaders and not this that's for home and this is for work stuff because that's what would lead people to face down moments in my clinical work right. because they were cutting off parts of their life and and for me yeah that there's nothing ever comfortable about vulnerability and never and i i say this all the time i mean this is the crux of of Brene brown's research right and it's not something you master or overcome it's how do we increase our capacity for discomfort and the more burdens we carry and the less aware that we are of them, it's going to impact them. We get more and more what we call in the IFS world protected. You know, Brene calls it armor. You know, there's all these different ways, you know, 
defended or resistance and whatever you call it. But then if we're shut, shutting down versus feeling through it, which is never graceful. Like there's, I mean, when this was going on, I'm looking, I'm remembering, I, you know, I voxered you, I messaged another friend, I was pacing the house, I was watching a little extra Netflix. And it was, I'm like, just the intro of a podcast that not many people know yet are going out. It wasn't like it was this huge following either, but it was something my system wasn't 100% on board with and they were thinking it was unsafe and dangerous. So yeah, and I, I think if we don't pay attention and normalize when we do something new, it's always going to feel, there's going to be a level of discomfort and vulnerability no matter what our skill set is because our brains are like, shut this shit down. This is new and dangerous. And how do, how we work through it is how much do we own and do the work with our burdens to to release them and care for them? It takes a lot of work and a lot of nuance. And I I could I could take I I'm so curious because it sort of I want to keep going here to get to to the rest of it. But this it begs the question, you know, and which requires so much self awareness and so much internal work as a leader, as a human. Of when do when is your system telling you it's dangerous because it is dangerous. Mm. And when your system, just as you're saying, when is vulnerability because you're actually doing something brave, mm-hmm. right? I love and, that and question. Mm. It takes discernment. Yeah. How do you know when, oh, my system is is pushing back at me because I this is actually not something that I should be doing that's good for me, that's healthy for me, that's safe, whatever. Or my system is pushing back at me because this is actually going to require a lot of courage. Yeah, I think and this is a conversation I have with a lot of a lot of leaders and, and my clinical clients and, and friends like you, too, that there is this difference between on a path because it's so aligned, even if it's terrifying. Right. So my values, which are connection and freedom. Right. And this just like I love connecting with people. I was connecting to parts of my story and interests and ways of expressing and then the freedom to have conversations that felt taboo or awkward and uncomfortable um, and to get information out about that felt important. And if something is literally like, you know, danger or my system is interpreting that, I would not have been able to follow through with it. My system would have shut it down. I mean, if, if, we're, if there's not enough critical consensus internally, <laughs> we get shut down, right? And so, and, that, and that's data too. It's not a fault. It's not a sign of weakness. It's just data if I can't move forward with something or and our nervous systems, you know, do what they do what they do to keep us safe, but they don't always have the most up to date information. So so for me, you know, that vulnerability and that courage piece, like we can't have courage without fear. And so what do people are like, let's kill the fear and cure the fear and you know, that's just, it drives me crazy, but yeah, yeah. We, have to, we have to lead the fear. And so I think the values piece, like I got to do this even if I fail. And it's going to suck if I do. And to know that my worth isn't and my safety aren't on the table. That's, that's again, to me where I'm like, this is what being alive is about. This is what it means to really step into the, and even this is a small little thing like this podcast, but it's a, it's a beautiful metaphor for so many other things that, that we step into something and, and just live and, and follow these curiosities and these interests, even if we get pushback, backlash and, and I say this all the time, but it's amazing what we do to avoid being misunderstood. And I'm still 
unpacking that for myself, like, oh my gosh, I shut that down on myself or I self-edited. And so for me, especially working with those who are healing and recovering from trauma, who've had their power taken away from them, I, to me, it's just an important mandate to to not shrink from my own power and to really lean into what that means. And that means focusing and facing a lot of the bogus BS messages, right? We've internalized, you know, someone who identifies as a female, there's a lot just around that too. So, so yeah, I think that's how, that's kind of where I say is when I'm in vulnerability and it, it it's terrifying, but still feels like there's like a peace in there. Um, but if it's something that really feels dangerous to my system, I can't move forward and it shuts down. So you and I met in our early 20s, mid 20s, I don't I know, maybe back a long time ago. We were both working in Washington, D.C. on Capitol Hill. You had studied journalism. You were working in politics. I think then you went on to do advertising in New York City. I mean, this is all mm -hmm. very different from this work that then you moved into <laughs> as a therapist. So you've taken a very different path than I think I would have thought you would have when we first met because you were, you were really, I mean, we were very different. <laughs> like, I was very much like, no, this is not my world. And you were like, I love this world. I mean, you, you were shining, you know, shining as, as from my perception. I mean, you tell me, but it, it seemed to me that this was work that you really loved. So I would not have said at that time, oh yeah, of course you're going to leave and go off and um, do this other really more behind the scenes kind of work that, you know, we do as therapists. So walk us through some of what the no's you had to say, right, that led to what you're doing today. You had to walk away from some pretty powerful things and some things you were really good at to get to what you're really good at today. So, so walk me through that a little bit. You know, I, I think about graduating college. I like drove out to Washington, D.C. the day after I graduated college. I already had a job on Capitol Hill, which was kind of a big deal. And I was, you know wide-eyed, naive, go team. But I have, you know, these parts of me and, you know, we're both Enneagram threes, like very ambitious. And, you know, ambition is something that I think gets poo-pooed and shamed, especially in women, especially in you and I both share a faith and, and in, in certain circles, that's just like, Ooh, that's not attractive, you know? And, and so it, when people say, Oh, Rebecca, she's ambitious. And that was kind of seen as a negative and I didn't know how not to be. And, and so I can say this now that, you know, my ambition um, with work was my drug of choice. So, I've never done drugs. That was something that was used and abused in my family. But my drug of working and finding my identity and the adrenaline and the seeing power, I would watch movies as a kid and dissect strategies. And I was fascinated by those things. And I loved the grunt work of it, the door to door, knock, I like get out the vote stuff or hanging flyers or setting up before rallies. And I volunteered at all these different all levels of government and in college and just, I truly just loved it all. And so I think getting in there, I was just very excited, but I, you know, can see now that my ambition though, was not necessarily just about the greater good. It was about winning. It was about advancing things that I thought the more power I had, the more healing I would have, you know, this is what, and I didn't know that's what I was doing. Right. And at the same time, you know, was pursuing, met the most amazing friends. I still am connected with people from that day and have so many lessons from working in the office I did. And my old boss, there's still lessons that I take from that day. But 
the nose, I started losing kind of my joy and my spark. So I had to say, and, and politics is not sexy. It is like, it's surface. It's a grind. It's long game. It's tedious. It's complicated. It's full of compromise. Were you and, aware of the time? No, no, I was, no, I would like see my former boss, like talk to the quote unquote enemy. And I'm like, what are you doing? You know, and I would just, I mean, I have to think of my poor colleagues at the time, you know, I was so hot headed and just be like, it was, it was just, it was still pretty rigid. It was very polarized in my mind. And I think it started eating away at me, you know, and after four years, it just, I, I lost my compass and, and, and I was losing my compass. And, and I think the beginning of that shift was what I'd experienced you and I went through when we, it was a Friday night and we were walking, we were on the hill, we were walking to grab some dinner, like dinner at nine o'clock, right? Cause this is what we did as we worked till that late on a Friday. Um, and you and I both were mugged and it was a pretty physical mugging. And I ended up in the hospital cause you know, they, I see them jump you first and I watch this going, okay. If I'm going to go, I'm not going to go just watching this. So I jumped on the guy who jumped on you. And then I, you know, got all tangled and they just wanted our backpacks. I remember hearing you say, Rebecca, just give it to them. And I'm like, oh, okay. They're not, they wanted our backpacks. They didn't want to hurt us and our bodies. I didn't know. It was clear, right? Yeah. I know. That was honestly, that was kind of the beginning of the end. There was something that shifted for me. Um, and then six weeks later, I was mugged again. <laughs> So, you know, right in front of my house. And so there was, it, to me, it's not about the mugging. It was about the control. And I was worshiping, I was trying to find control, control the narrative, controlled messaging, more power meant more control, which was a myth. So, so yeah, I want to, I want to pause here for a second, because this is the piece that I remember that vividly, obviously, because I remember <laughs> that first mugging. And then I remember you telling me, I just, I mean, you had these crazy back to back, really scary situations. And so that connection, it sounds like what you're saying is, I mean, obviously that's just terrifying in and of itself, but it also tapped something in you, a part of you that was starting to recognize this ambition that I have, this longing that I have to be a part of something. I, I want to use, I, I think it was genuine. You, you wanted to change mm -hmm. the world. That was beautiful. Mm -hmm. That's a beautiful part of you that ambitious part of you that I, I think, you know, that principle, I, I mean, you, you know, you, I would never have said it was rigid. I saw it as just you were passionate, right? And so some of this, you were already beginning to, to internally, maybe this wasn't the best outlet for that. And then something happened with these muggings that shifted even more. Something is like, I need, I need to take all of this energy, all this passion, all this fire in a different direction. This isn't serving me. This isn't serving the world. How did that link come? And, and I know hindsight's twenty twenty. I don't know if in the moment it was as clear to you. Well, I think I was worshiping power in my resume and I was losing Got sight it. of other things. And then the cracks were there and then they started to, to widen. It's like, I, mean, I said, I literally, you know, needed a gun to my head to rethink like to, to realize how little control I had over things and what really needed attention in my life. And, and that's when I went to therapy for the first time was after you and I were mugged. And I was started, I had started before you and I were mugged. And I remember going into therapy on crutches because I had bashed my knee, um, struggling with one of the muggers. And my therapist smiled and said, ah, oh, it's good to see you leaning on something. 
I'll never forget. I was so freaking pissed at her when she said that. I wanted to like take my, <laughs> I wanted to look like, yeah, right. You know, but I think that's the thing. I was like, I, I was my own God. I was my, I, I've got it. I've got it. I, I don't need anyone. I don't need anything. I, I grew up on a healthy dose of those eighties movies where like the, they were so toxic and wrong, but like the, the female was like the one that, you know, was worked her way to the top and she worked late hours, but maybe dated the shitty guy. And, you know, but she was sacrificing a lot and, you know, she didn't care or there was kind of, she was the mean one, but like was successful. She had the title and the power and the money, but she was hot mess on the inside. And so I started to realize, crap, this is what I came here for. I still believe, I still to this day believe in, in the process, even as jacked up as it's gotten I you know that about me I I do and I I I believe it's so important to be civically engaged and I hate when people check out and tap out of it and try we I feel like that's just it's such a big value of mine but um but my reasonings and I was trying to heal the burdens I was carrying through my work in the ways I was focusing on like if I get the next title I get the next promotion I get the next raise I'll feel better no no. So I was feeling worse. The more success I had, I was feeling worse. Which is an amazing insight to have at a young age. It's quite amazing. And I also want to just for the kind of for those who are listening who are younger than you and me, this was before people just therapy wasn't nearly as prevalent as it is now. Would you agree with that? I mean, you, when you said, I mean, mm-hmm. that have I mean, I wanted to be a therapist and I had never been to therapy, didn't know anybody who'd been to therapy at that time. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was it was still somewhat new as as a as a you know common thing that people did. So that's interesting. I didn't actually know that you had gone to therapy after that mugging. And so like, here's a question for you. What do you think the stakes for you would have been personally if you'd stayed on that path? If you had oh. taken that right turn? I think I would have gotten everything I wanted. And I would have been miserable. And I I, I don't know, I it would have gotten even darker than maybe some things that I've been through, you know, just in my own healing process. Or I wouldn't have, and I would have taken that as a sign of like a complete, you know, value judgment on who I was as a human. You know, again, my worthiness was so externalized and, and it conflated with this amazing and exciting and important process. Um, that I believe in, again, as 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 corrupt and complicated and flawed as it is, and I acknowledge all of that. That there was something that feels clear to me on that, but it it was it was hustling. It was just trying to hustle my way to feel better and to to figure out who I was. And again, you know, I did. You, you try and get parented by your work, and it's not a good choice. <laughs> You're trying to find, you know, and and again, meaningful work. I I, I do think is is important to our well-being, but there was a hunger about it. And I think it's in Philippians, right? There's a, the, this scripture about like selfish ambition. And, and I remember reading that at the time going, I think this is after the muggings or a couple of the muggings. And I went through three within 18 months. It took that much for me to go, okay, I get it. And I'm just kind of thinking this selfish ambition and, and I'm like, okay, what's the difference between a healthy ambition and where I'm caring for myself and caring for others and not seeing people as something to or, or, or something to achieve or a means to an end, but really, and, and it's taken me a long time to really, and I'm still, I still have echoes of that in me when I get tired or anxious and, and, and lose my focus, that stuff comes out, which is not fun, doesn't feel good and doesn't feel good to have that reflected back. 
So yeah. Still, I just, I take my hat off you at, at a young age, making a pretty major life decision to move away from working in this glamorous, the power centers of the world. You know, that can Well, I went from, I went from DC to New York. So, <laughs> you know, to go work in advertising, you know, and I was making at the time more money than I ever had. And, you know, and then I, that was like a whole shift because- I wasn't choosing who I was working for. I had accounts I was assigned to and I, that didn't last long. You know, I loved living in New York and made some dear friends there and had a cool flat there. And oh my gosh, there's so many amazing things about New York for me. It was a pit stop though. And there was something, there is something to say, oh, I'm, I'm stepping out of this epicenter to be in the know. There's some weird kind of thing that I had to let go of, of like, I want to be the first one to know about these things before everyone else. Like that made me a better person. It's like gross, right? Like I say that now and I'm cringing. Like it's, it's just, it's like gossipy, you know, but that access to power can burn you if you don't know who you are and how to lead that. If you're not anchored in that and, you know, thank God I had, I just had great mentors. I had great people of just different different walks of life, even on the hill and in New York, who could speak into my life. And I'm like, Ooh, you know, who do I want to be? And I didn't like who I was becoming. So I said no to who I was becoming. You were unburdening before you even knew what that word <laughs> meant. I, mean, right, but it, I need three muggings for me to really dig in though. I mean, that's like, that's, that's like, I was holding on. I mean, like we were vacationing. The third mugging happened when I was with a family member in Colorado and I was thinking about working and to end up working for a nonprofit uh, youth, international youth organization. They're based in Colorado. So we went and built a vacation around it. And so I'm literally, this is gross. Y'all. So don't hold this against me. I'm just owning this. But, you know, I was so obsessed with my career and my resume that I talked to homeless people. And it's like, aren't you worried? Like we were meeting different people on the streets, just connecting with folks. There's just the homeless. There's a lot of un unhoused and underhoused in Colorado because of the weather. And I'm like, you know, aren't you worried about your resume? or having a 401k, I would say such asshole things like I cringe and I just I want to say this. So I'm on the record to never lose touch with that. But it was this moment where like, the, you know, my career, my ambitions, what was on a piece of paper was more important than a human in front of me. Like I but I was still trying to understand, you know, I always been fascinated with people. Um, but yeah, no, it just was lost it was very lost. Well, we're going to get to this. But I, 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 I want to ask you how you what you would say to this younger 25 year old you now, because I see a powerhouse who granted, you know, might have been a little misguided. Uh, but wow, we'll, we'll come back to that. I, I want to just kind of come back to this, what you're doing now, this podcast. Um, it feels to me as I watch you do this, doing such a beautiful job of bringing so many different voices to the table bringing back, kind of reaching into that political realm that I saw you thrive in, bringing that therapy lens that has become this huge part of who you are. It feels like full circle. You're just bringing together so many parts of you. What parts of you, before you started the podcast, were kind of taking a back seat? You know, we're kind of, I always feel like mm. it's kind of murmur, you know, kind of, when do I get to, you know, and, and, and what, what, did, what were you aware of where it was having to take maybe too much of a backseat before you then came into this podcast and kind of begin to bring all these threads together. Well, 
I don't know where, I think early on, I mean, I got my undergrad in public relations and advertising, right? So I knew early on that, you know, how to kind of be, I could, I could morph to different groups that I was in. And I've always been in very kind of unique groups that wouldn't all necessarily be together, (laughs) but I've could have different groups or circles I would run in. And the parts of me that really cared about politics and politics is a complicated topic um, or you say the word activism or, or social justice in some circles. I had no idea that was like a dirty word in some circles. It's so weird. And, and so just things that I cared about felt like they were either verboten or they were just one way to, that was okay to do them. And so I kind of held back because I wanted to protect my belonging, but really I was just fitting in. And and again, Mm -hmm. there's something beautiful about the work you and I are trained in where, you know, people come and work with us. It's not about us, right? You know, if we interject, it's usually, you know, with the intention of helping somebody else. So there was almost like this wall, like, I'm just going to, I'm going to just fade. This is not about me. It's all about the client, which is absolutely Mm -hmm. important. But I did that so much in all areas of my life that I started losing kind of who I was. And, you know, it's too much of a... It's almost like you yeah. went being, it was too extreme. You went from being this ambitious kind of all about my resume to I'm going to make it all about the other person. Well, I don't know if the ambition ever, <laughs> ever went away. I mean, I mean, I think anyone who knows me in any of the seasons would say, no, Rebecca, I would go for it and still go for it hard. You know, even in, in I, I had a private practice, a group practice for nine years with, you know, interdisciplinary team and amazing learning experience too. It was very ambitious, but sometimes my competition or um, comparison on who I should be. So I think there's just a lot of, I, I, like all of us, I knew who I should be. I breathed in all the who I should be. I breathed in all the shoulds on who I was supposed to be. And at the expense of really me being myself. And so I had to discover that. And, you know, the cool thing about the methodologies I'm trained in. And, you know, when I started training in Brene Brown's work coming up on 10 years now, since I first trained with her and her team, that was the beginning of like, oh crap, who am I? And I can't do this work if I'm not doing it myself, right? There's like certain methodologies, like like cognitive behavioral therapy and certain things we can do. And like, we can still just be a hot mess on the inside and we could still deliver some decent work. But some of these things we, we had to be able to the parallel process. So that started to really make like, I think Brene's like writing about authenticity and I was like, Oh, Oh, and then getting a feeling like catching this feeling of, is that what it feels like? And then my system was like, we want more of that. And this is where healing is, is if you can discover that. So I get really excited about helping others discover that. And then the more that I leaned into that, the less the world I created was fitting well. And there was other things I was wanting to do. So got it. So it's almost so so less of an overcorrection and more of a coming to wholeness of all of who you are. So it's like, you you started to develop this other part of you that's very genuine, which is how do I move into authenticity and helping others to become authentic? That was this next sort of season with and 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 then coming in. I mean, 
I always say to you as your friend, there's a there's a lot of in, in IFS, we call it um, multifaceted. I mean, everybody's multifaceted, but there's a lot of complexity to you. You're not one thing. None of us is. Mm-hmm. There's so many different parts of you. There's a tenderness. There's a compassion. There's an empathy. There's a I want to empower others. There's, you know, there's and then there's this ambitious part of you. And it just it sounds to me as I listen to you, it took a lot of these different key moments and milestones to help. Mm -hmm. It's almost like a a picture of pinball with a ball. You had to kind of ping against all these different things to finally get at. No, no, no. This is all of who I am. Well, as I was thinking about it, I think becoming a parent, I mean, getting married to an amazing, you know, I very, very, very grateful for who I get to do life with um, and partner with, but becoming a mom, I think that really cracked me open too. So like we had the muggings, right? You know, and then the work burnout and and some of the things I was seeing. But it just felt like, you know, whether it's my my passion about what it means to to be engaged civically or how we show up in our faith and live our values and what that means. There was the, a lot of the circles I was I was in, there was one way to do that, to be, you know, civic enough or Christian enough or, and which is all bullshit. Like I, I mean, I'm just so over so many of the institutions, I'm not over my faith, but so over so much of, you know, what was the Christian nationalism and, and how much that impacted me too, and how that jacked with my head for a while. But becoming a mom, especially my firstborn daughter, and, and then three years into her life, getting diagnosed on the autism spectrum and having to go, okay, how do we, how do we want to raise her and what's the culture that we want to raise her in? And we had to do a lot of editing in our life. And that was hard. We had to be very clear. Like we, we do, our daughter is not broken, never was broken, doesn't need to be fixed. And how do we help her have, I knew if she was confident and she could communicate, the world was her, will be her oyster. And our image at 13, I'm like, oh, okay, I'm feeling, we, we, we're getting there. And so that became a force. But as the parallel process of that, I had to address those younger parts of me that never got that kind of love and care and with, with intention and, and that we're still needing that. So while I was caring for my daughter and parenting her, I ended up doing that to myself and some things just didn't fit anymore. And it was, it took me a while. Like sometimes we hold on to things longer than need be because we think we should, or we're afraid of what's on the other side. And I think there was some, some things like that. So I wanted to make some transitions that I did in the last couple of years. And, and so I think, I think parenthood did that for me too. How do you view success now? I am not successful if things are not well with my family, my closest friends and my own well-being. So they are, all those things are my metrics, success. And if, if, yeah, so success is about my connection, my family, my, you know, community. And, and it's never, I never want my work and my family to be on the opposite side. I had to make a decision a few years ago that my family and my passion for working are not ever going to work against each other. They're on the same team. And so that's success when they're working well together. And it's not a number, a dollar sign or a title anymore. It's what I thought. It's it's increasing my capacity for joy. It's having quality friends. And it's being able to give back and have an impact that is bigger than me. It's it it's bigger and smaller. It's hard to explain. But it's and it's also not something that the world may see. Most of the things that I really value are not Instagrammable 
you know, and I know I feel like I'm one of the wealthiest people in the world just with with the people I have in my life and and the gift of health. Um, yeah, but I'm not chasing it anymore. I'm 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 I'm, I'm, I'm ambitious. I mean, I have desires and dreams, but also my worth and value aren't tied up with success too. What would that young twenty-something girl think of that oh success? I think she'd be really pissed at me and annoyed and roll her eyes. She'd be like, "Oh my gosh, you're such an old fart." Okay, whatever. Move aside. Move aside. You know, whatever. You know, and but I think she'd sigh eye it a little bit. I think the younger me would sigh eye it and see the love that's happening in my family. Um, and if she could see some of these incredible conversations I'm having with leaders or the healing work my clinical clients are doing, or just the conversations I have with neighbors or people in my community and go, oh, maybe that's what I've been longing for. It's not the yeah. paycheck or the title or the power. She might be a little, at the very least, curious. She'd be curious, but seriously, like, whatever. Like, okay, sounds good. Like, I just didn't get it, you know, because, again, there was just a lot of hurt in my in my story uh, growing up in a family where, you know, abuse and divorce uh, and just a lot of volatility around. I just thought that's just not even an option. And so, yeah. What would you want to say to her? Mm. <laughs> if she'd listen, <laughs> if she'd listen, um, I'd probably sit next to her. And just say, obviously, that she is enough and be really picky who she gives her heart to because it's a special heart and that not to. Yeah. And that she, you know, that that she doesn't have anything to prove, but she's got a lot to learn. And so just to keep putting in the reps of trying to be a good human and master the skills. Um, yeah. And, and just to and just to pay attention to her competition, because sometimes I can that can uh, take her off the path that she's on, that she really wants, what she really wants. Cause I, I mean, I'm, I've always played competitive sports and, but sometimes I would get so competitive, but fused with this sense of justice that it was like a little <laughs> intense. It still comes out sometimes. So yeah, I would, if she'd listen, I would just, uh, I would just let her know that, you know, to pace herself, be careful with her heart and, yeah, be picky about who she's with and that work doesn't define her. I think she is listening. Uh, she's there with you. I see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She has fire and she's still there. It To me, it seems like she has learned to trust you, that you're not going to try to quench her fire. You just want her to harness it effectively beautifully mm -hmm. authentically and even more powerfully than what she could possibly see i hope so i hope so i think she doesn't want me to give up doing new things she doesn't like to settle mm -hmm. she gets irritated if she feels like i'm settling so sometimes we have to negotiate that i'm not settling i'm just having a slow roll um but you know again she carried a little extra hubris that she you know needed to release <laughs> so, but i think there's something about the 20s right i mean who is i mean a humble 20 something i don't know <laughs> i don't know there's a, it's just it's, it's a beautiful part of it's a rite of passage you know i get it you see I dig it 
one of the things you're doing, what you're bringing to this world with the unburdened leader is we see, we see leaders leading out of their 20 year old selves still Mm -hmm. out of their 16 year old selves. (laughs) And that's exactly what you're all about is trying to actually let's, let's not shame those parts of us, but let's help them unburden those heavy weights so that we can lead out of our best selves so that we can lead out of our our full, whole, healed selves as best we can. Yeah. And, and that whole healed stuff still is hot and messy. And that perfection and tidy is overrated. Embrace the hot mess. And that's where you're going to find all the joy, the love, the belonging, and the coolest, me- most meaningful work is in the mess. That's what I tell her too. I love it. I love that. All right. So can I ask you some quick fire questions? Absolutely. <laughs> is this your first time having these asked of you? Yes, it is. Hey, this will be fun. All right. What are you reading right now? Every month on the Potentia email newsletter, we have to choose a book. And I realize I've been reading, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Cleo Wade. She's a poet and she's got a book called Heart Talk. And it's just like, she's amazing. And she does this really cool lettering. I'm showing it to Allison right now, but y'all just need to pick this up. You know, like here, she just wrote, the best thing about your life is that it is constantly in a state of design. This means you have at all times the power to redesign it, make moves, allow shifts, smile more, do more, do less, say no, say yes. Just remember when it comes to your life, you are not the only artist, but the masterpiece as well. I know, I know. So I just, I just was going back, like I just... Yeah, it's just really speaking to my my heart right now is Cleo Wade's work. Beautiful. All right, what song are you playing on repeat? Oh, Leon Bridges. Oh. Leon Bridges River. Okay. And he's coming to San Diego this summer. And I just, I when I'm writing, and I've had to do a lot of podcasts and other kind of copywriting lately, and he, he's on this playlist. And I'm so excited to see him in person this summer. Very cool. All right, what's the best TV show or movie you've seen recently? <laughs> This is going to probably be apropos when my husband and I are watching the latest season of Billions. And I so love that show. I mean, it's like horrible to watch like billionaires and political people and they're all, and all of their brokenness and their egos and their humanity. And there's this character on there that um, she's an MD psychiatrist, but like works to help people in this hedge fund, keep their A game on. And like, and so but there's a lot of nuanced writing and cool things happening. And so I just love the writing. I love the actors on the show. Um, so, so billions is fresh right now. Let's check it out. All right. Favorite eighties movie. <laughs> I mean, as problematic as I'm seeing it now, like just about anything, John Hughes, like shaped me, anything that Molly Ringwald was in with John Hughes, like, you know, breakfast club, pretty in pink. Uh, I mean, God bless I mean ducky. I, you know, it's just, it's so good, you know, and, and, you know, we, 80s horror movies, I don't like horror movies now, but like Nightmare on Elm Street, kind of cheesy horror, like that's where you just are scared because of suspense, like when Freddy Krueger's tongue comes out of the phone and you're like, oh, and everyone screamed, you know, uh, what is your mantra right now? I've got a couple. I mean, I, what I say out loud to a couple, I, I say it's hard to be human when I'm working on my perfectionist protectors to relax, you know, and just like, it's just leaning into that. And, and then when I'm stepping up my vulnerability, I always like, we've got this, we've got this, <laughs> you know, or game on. One. But, and I think too, one thing I'm leaning into is a, a quote from my dear colleague and friend, Natalie Gutierrez. Um, she wrote, embrace what they taught you to hate. 
And I think that's something that I've been working on as I just continue to work on healing and connecting with those parts of me that I was taught to hate. And yeah, I just think that's one of the most beautiful, tender mantras too. Wow, that's beautiful. What is an unpopular opinion you hold? <laughs> I don't know if this is unpopular now, but every vote matters. <laughs> like vote. <laughs> it matters. It may not feel like it matters, mm -hmm. but vote. And 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 voting is a big freaking deal. Like is one of the biggest deals right now. Like, and there's a lot of things that are a big deal, but yeah. So I, I think I just really as I'm less invested in how you vote. I mean, I'm invested in that, but I want you to vote and I want to in, and help and make sure to protect that everyone has the opportunity to do so. So I don't know if it's unpopular, but maybe controversial. <laughs> Who or what inspires you to be a better leader and human? I think there's older versions of myself, I think, reflecting back and seeing how far I've come and where I don't want to go back. I think friends like you, Allison, I think good friends and and to my family. And, and I, I you know, and I, I've referenced faith and I know this is complicated, but, you know, I, I think, you know, the God that I'm getting to know right now is really invested in my brokenness and in my complexity and, and befriending all of me and not power over me. So I think, yeah. And, you know, believe it or not too, my, my Sunday school, because it's like a hot mess of really diverse, different people, not diverse, like racially as much as it is not only theologically and socially, politically, economically, very different. Mm -hmm. And being in that space and kind of rubbing up against folks who don't think just like me, but still sharing a lot of love is always a refining place. Yeah. For me. That's, that's a brave place. Beautiful. I love it. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking over the mic today, Allison, and helping me celebrate this 50th episode of The Unburdened Leader. Thank you so much for your time. And I'm excited to have you back on because you have a book coming out in the fall. So I'd love for you to come back on and talk about your book and we can get back to the old way of hosting. <laughs> I could interview you about that if that's cool with you. But love it. thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much uh, for today. And thank you so much for your friendship. I really appreciate you. Uh, thanks. This is this this podcast is awesome. I love it. Thanks, friend. When you come to terms with the burdens you carry, you find what fuels your best work and your biggest roadblocks. The ever-evolving map of influences that guide us offers us important data. So the more we're aware of the burdens we carry, we can make decisions with intention instead of just reacting to what's happening around us and inside of us. It took some deep soul searching and some life-threatening experiences to bring my own awarenesses how the burdens I was carrying stopped inspiring me and instead kept weighing me down. And I so, so appreciate my dear friend Allison leading this conversation as we reflected on a season that led to some big trajectory shifts in my life. And I want the shifts to continue with intention and compassion. I don't want to live a life where I literally need life and death situations to help me see changes that I need to make. So as you listen to this episode today, what rules need to be broken so you can truly be seen and feel connected to your life, your work, and those around you? And do you know how the burdens you're carrying are informing your life's work? And what are you showing up to every day and how is it impacting you for better or for worse? 
Now, there are plenty out there saying we need to forget the past and let it go and kill our fear and shame. But when you exile your burdens, instead of befriending them and learning from them, you only add to the weight of what you're carrying. And the more you learn to recognize these burdens, the more you're able to use them, even heal them, rather than allowing your burdens to control you. And this is the work of an unburdened leader. Leading is hard. Leading is also often controversial as you navigate staying aligned to your values, your mission, your boundaries. Navigating the inevitable controversy that can challenge your confidence and clarity and calm. You don't mind making the hard risk, but sometimes the stakes seem higher and can bring up echoes of old doubts and insecurities during times when you need to feel rock solid on your plan and action. Finding a coach who gets the nuances of your business and leading in our complex polarized world can help you identify the blocks and the burdens that keep you playing it safe and small. Now, leading today is not a fancy title or fluffy bragging rights. It is brave and bold work to stay the course when the future is so unknown and the doubts and pains from the past keep showing up to shake things up. Internal emotional practices and systemic strategies are needed to keep the protector of cynicism at bay and foster a hope that is both actionable and aligned. When the stakes are high and you don't want to lose focus, when you want to navigate the inevitable conflict between your ears and with those you lead, when time is of the essence and you want to make hard decisions with confidence and clarity, then Unburdened Leader Coaching is for you and where you deepen the capacity to tolerate the vulnerability of change, innovation, and doing things differently than the status quo. To start your Unburdened Leader Coaching process with me, go to www.rebeccaching.com and book a free connection call. I can't wait to hear from you. Thank you so much for joining me for this special 50th episode of The Unburdened Leader. You can sign up for the weekly Unburdened Leader email, find this episode, show notes, and free Unburdened Leader resources along with ways to work with me at www.rebeccaching.com.